All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Build Show podcast. That's right, this is my weekly time to go deep with you on all kinds of different topics that we just don't have time for on the YouTube video. So today's topic, why we build. I've got with me my vice president of construction, Tim Hill. I think of Tim as my older brother. He's about 15 years older than I am. So I'm coming up on 30 years in the business. Tim's coming up on 45 years in the business. We've got a great episode, but before we get going, let me have a quick shout out to our podcast sponsor, that's Aquar. Now, if you're not familiar with these guys, these guys make uh, what they call the house hydrant, in, in effect, a hose bib for a house, but it's like no other hose bib that I've seen in the marketplace. When I first stumbled upon them at the International Builder Show, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, I was blown away about how different their product is. When you look at their hose bibs, you're going to see a door that's covering all the guts, no handle, nothing to give away what it is. They're just so much better and sleeker looking than traditional hose bibs. Of course, they're also frost free. They make them in a bunch of different varieties from short ones to very deep ones if you're like building in Alaska. They're also made out of stainless steel, which means that they don't transfer that heat into the house very well. Remember, stainless is not a very good heat conductor. Go check out their website, aquawatersystems.com to learn more. But I can tell you from personal experience, I use them at my house. It is a really bomber product. With that being said, from the Rockwell Studios in Austin, Texas, let's get going. All right, guys. Tim Hill, I think you've met Tim before. Tim is our VP of construction here at Reisinger Build. Uh, and we've been building together for 10 years now, Tim? Not quite. I don't know. 11, think, 10, 11, somewhere in there. Somewhere yeah. in there. Yeah. Uh, but you got your start actually in the building world around 1980. Is that right? That's right. So it's been a few years. Uh, and as we think about this topic, why do we build? What is it about building that we that we so much enjoy? Uh, you know, what's one of the first things that comes to mind for you? Well, I mean, there's a lot of aspects to it, but I think uh, for me, it's the fact that I am creating something that is uh, going to last a long time. It's going to serve one, two, three, four families uh, for a good span of their lifetimes mm -hmm. and, and their family's history together. Uh, and it's going to be there when I go back 30, 40 years later and look and, and see it still standing and, and, and doing well. Yeah, I mean, you and I were talking about this earlier, and I loved what you said about uh, this is the ultimate durable good. It is. That's right? right. There is no more durable good that is created that is more important to people throughout their lifetime. I think that's their home is it. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's also probably their largest expense by a giant margin. That's right. That's right. And, uh, and also probably their only uh, asset that they buy that they're going to enjoy that will actually rise in, in value. Right. Um, and so across the spectrum of home building, whether you're building starter homes that and, and what we might call volume uh, building or whether you're building, you know, unique site specific custom homes like we do. Um, it's still important to those end users, those people that use them. And it's mm -hmm. it's fulfilling a, a broad range of needs and, and through a broad range of economic spectrum. And I, I think that's an important industry to be in. Uh, we certainly don't do it for the money. No, that's for sure. Right. This is, there's definitely industries where you can do better financially than oh, yeah. building. <laughs> Although we've done just fine. Uh, certainly no complaints. Right. 
But, but I think, uh, Tim, as we think about this topic of why you build, there's two things that immediately come to mind. And we've talked about this a lot over the years. And uh, I'm going to queue you up with this and you, you run with it. But relationships is a big reason. And number two, we really like being the hero. Why don't you explain a little bit more about those? Yeah, points? well, I've, I've always said every li- everyone likes to be a hero. That's right? for sure. And and this is an opportunity to be that hero is to create something that people appreciate. They appreciate your your uh, integrity, your knowledge, your advice, um, and um, that goes a long way toward you know job satisfaction. Mm-hmm. You know, very few of us got into this uh, intentionally, and I think you and I talked about this a while ago that most of the people I talked to in this industry got to the industry in a, in a roundabout way. Uh, they didn't necessarily follow some college curriculum that led them specifically to home building. Now, more recently, there are a lot of uh, colleges that offer that, and yeah. we've hired one or two people that have that background. Yeah, we've got educational Emma on our background. team that just graduated, what, a year and a half ago right. with a uh, building construction management degree or building – is it a building science degree or a building construction management degree? What do they call it at Texas a and I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but it's one of those. I think it's building construction management. Right. So she went to school, um, and I actually I don't think she started in that program. If I remember correctly on her story, she started in accounting or something else, and then sophomore year found out about the program and entered the building construction management program. That program, along with many others, is a little more geared towards, or a lot geared towards, commercial construction That's right. or residential. That's right. Um, but uh, Emma, like many others, uh, migrated towards uh, a type of construction that they found more enjoyable, which is residential over commercial. No offense to the commercial guys, uh, but residential certainly um, has a lot, of, a lot more people that are passionate about it and talking about it. And there's way less information. There's way less, uh, you know, TV shows about commercial construction, let's say, than there are the TV shows about residential. That's right. We, we get a lot of people migrating from commercial world to the residential world because it is, I guess, in, 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 at least in my mind, more interesting. Mm-hmm. And there's another point that you and I talked about a while ago, and that is it seems like everybody that's here, everybody that's in our world is here because they enjoy it. They're here. They're passionate about it. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas in a lot of fields that you could work in, uh, I'm I'm sure a lot of people are there just to earn a paycheck and they they really don't like their jobs that well. And uh, if they had the opportunity, they would do something different. Yeah. I don't know of anyone that I work with that's like that. Yep. Everyone is that's here loves it, and and although it may be hard, it's 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 uh, stressful at times, and and um, it, it, it there's innate conflict uh, because of the financial struggles and the scheduling struggles that are involved. But ultimately, you work through that, and it makes everyone a better character for it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's that's my take on it uh, from that perspective. Uh, the relationship side that you mentioned is, is I think, um, another rewarding part of it. We get to work with people from day laborers to billionaires. And the difference in personalities and economic backgrounds and the ways they, that, that, that different cultures uh, interact with each other uh, is fascinating. Yeah, and, that's... and I think it makes us better people to, to, and broadens our 
understanding of humanity to the extent that we get along with with people in a lot of different settings mm -hmm. uh, because that's what we do at work. That's interesting you mentioned that different cultures too. I, I, in some respects, I actually think that the, the relationships that I've made over my 27 years in construction have opened me up to understanding the world better and cultures better and even topics like immigration better. Right. Because I've worked with so many different immigrants over the years from all kinds of different places. Uh, and it's interesting how each, I've worked in three kind of distinct parts of America uh, building houses. I started my career East Coast outside of Washington, D.C. And then I moved West Coast and worked in Portland, Oregon for a few years and then moved to Texas in 05. And uh, as a random example, when I was in the Pacific Northwest, all of my exterior um, cornice crew, as we would call it in Texas, or siding crew, as we call it out there, uh, was Russian uh, immigrants. Mm -hmm. And th there was a, a family of immigrants that, uh, you know, had cousins and uncles. And everybody who was on this, I don't know, 12 or 14 man team who did most of our houses at that time uh, was somehow related and, and had roots back to Russia. Uh, thinking back, I wonder if they were Ukrainian with everything that's happening in the news. Uh, but then on the other hand, the, the crew that at the time we were doing some uh, prior to that, I was in D.C. We did a lot of vinyl siding when I was East Coast and all of our crews um, were Korean that did our siding. <laughs> and uh, and so, you know, prior to that, I didn't know any Koreans. I didn't know any Russians. And getting to know those people, having lunch with them on the job really made me appreciate them. And it's crazy how. Uh, America is such a melting pot. It is that uh, you know I could I still have Ivan's number in my phone. I haven't talked to him in many years, but Ivan, the uh, crew chief from the Russian crew, man, I learned so much from him. I learned even at the time, which I don't remember, some Russian words. I could say have a good weekend in Russian. And then when I moved to Texas, to Texas, I didn't know anybody growing up East Coast that was originally from Mexico. Uh, and so I quickly started to learn a little bit of construction Spanish, so that at least I could say on Friday. Hey guys, have a good weekend. Buen fin de semana. And I still use that today. I hardly know any Spanish, but I still always use that on Friday with whatever Hispanic crews out there as a way to kind of connect and use some piece of their language. Yeah. And that's one of the things I love about construction is the people uh, of, like you said, laborer to billionaire right. that you get to meet and still interact with and talk to this day, even if we're not with them. You know, I'm thinking about Kano, for instance, who right. used to work on our crew. Right. Um, the hardest working guys we've ever worked with. Yeah, what an amazing guy. He's gone on to yeah. start his own company. Uh, he's gotten his full American, um, you know, visa status. Uh, just he's he's a an example of why America is a great country. That's right. That's right. Proud of him. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I think we could wax philosophy all day long and 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 talk about the the deeper feelings we have about it, but ultimately. Um, I think there's something for everyone in in the residential construction world, mm -hmm. um, it, you know, because there are so many different parts and pieces and different technologies that are involved, from electrical to plumbing to air conditioning to woodworking to framing, uh, waterproofing, uh, glazing. You know, you can just go on and on, and every one of those aspects of home building is an industry into itself. Yeah, and so we're we are a as you as you said a moment ago, we're a melting pot of industries. Yeah, that's right. Not just people, but different all the different products and services that it takes to build a house um, make our, our just education about industry itself mm -hmm. so 
broad-based. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the other things that I really love about this industry, Tim, is how uh, there's always something new to learn. There's always a new product or technique or way of doing things such that I think you and I are both um, inquisitive uh, learning minds and always want to build a little better. Uh, on my last podcast, I had Rex Tibbins, the uh, president and CEO of Front Door, on. We were talking about uh, how do we get young people to um, consider a, a career in the trades. And Rex said, and I, I wrote this down because I thought it was such a great quote, the most successful people in life, not just in our industry, are lifelong learners. Mm-hmm. And I think that that really, uh, I think, incorporates a lot of you and I in terms of our personalities and what gets us out of bed in the morning. I really enjoy learning how to build a better house and thinking about, gosh, how could I do this better and differently the next time? Uh, such that houses that we built five years ago, I'm still proud of those houses. I think those are great houses. But I love the fact that each year we're building a little better. Just like you go to the uh, Chevy dealership and you buy the newest 2500 that has a couple of better features or airbags or uh, you know, diesel engine where I had gas before or whatever. The same, I think, is true of the houses that you and I are building, that each iteration, each prototype is incrementally just a little better than the last one. It is, I, but I got to say that it, was, it wasn't always like that. I mean, there was a time when building uh, technology, building science, it, if there was such a thing, was stagnant. I mean, we did the same techniques for decade after decade after decade, and the only thing that changed was the labor force, really. And yeah. Um, I think manufacturing got uh, more efficient. So the products that we got were probably manufactured in a more efficient way. And, you know, plastics came around and we were able to use some plastic products that um, uh, were manufactured. But ultimately, we didn't really start advancing our industry out of the seat of the pants methodology. Um until sometime in the 80s. I think so. Yeah. I really think that this last four decades have just in, in, almost exponentially grown in, in in the way people look at building technology and the, the different ways that we can do things better. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons why I like doing custom homes is that we have the ability to uh, turn on a dime, so to speak and make changes based on every project, every customer, every budget's new. Yeah. In my production builder days uh, in the 90s when I started, you know, every house was pretty much the same year to year. And I was only there less than a decade, but my assumption is decade after decade <laughs> with minor changes. And in fact, sometimes things got a little less expensive to build because at that time, that company I was working for would send a memo every quarter saying, Hey guys, if we build 10,000 houses this year and we're able to save $5 a house, that's an extra $50,000 straight to our bottom line through our investors. And so they would solicit ideas from the assistant superintendents like I was in superintendents to say, hey, what can we do that would bring down some costs incrementally? And some of that's good, especially when it comes to waste. You know, they very they put very few things in the dumpster, which was awesome. But at the same time, they also... Uh, we're in a race to build the least cost house that was still legal. And that part kind of bugged me. I didn't love that memo coming out because it made me feel like the bean counters were in charge of construction rather than the people who built the houses or more more importantly, the guys who serviced the houses. When I went to the warranty manager at that 
company for six months. Our, our warranty guy had a health issue and I had to take his spot for six months. Boy, did I learn a lot. Uh, whereas I'd just been in the field building houses for two years. I didn't know any better. I hadn't seen a lot of the houses a year, two years, five years later to know what the problems could happen. Oh my gosh, my eyes were really opened. And I couldn't believe, honestly, how many things we were repairing or fixing at year one in those houses because of mistakes. And then sometimes I'd go into houses that were a couple years old and people were requesting service that was out of warranty. And I had to be the one to be like, no, I'm sorry, this yeah. isn't covered. Yeah. And it was, it was hard for me at times because I wanted to be the hero. I wanted them to like me and the company and feel good about the house they were buying. But oftentimes I had to say, I'm really sorry, but this isn't covered under your warranty. It's expired. And this doesn't fall under this category that you're wanting it to. Yeah. And so you have to elevate this to a higher level of corporate if you want a different response. <laughs> but I'm only able to tell you no. Whereas today, when you and I have a problem on a job or see a problem, the very next house we build, we can change 100% of what we're doing or do that next better thing. So that now, as we've been building, as I've been building in Austin for 17 years and you've been building in Austin for 42 years, we build a much better house than most of the production builders for sure. And we've got a great set of competitors here in Austin. I got to, I got to give kudos to our builder friends. Austin's done a great job of a rising tide floats all boats. And even some builders that I remember 15 years ago that weren't building very well or weren't building to a high degree, they've changed their tune. And they, a lot of builders that I can think of have really increased their performance level of their houses when it comes to durability and uh, energy efficiency and especially water uh, related things. Yeah. I think it would be easy for a home building company to get in this uh, method of doing business where once they get something that works, they keep doing it and then they try to do it more efficiently in the interest of maximizing profits. And, and that's very true of volume builders. That's their motivation because they have stockholders to answer to. But I really think if we in the uh, custom home building industry, end of the industry, uh, keep that continual improvement pressure yep. on the industry yep. so that every time we do something, we try to figure out a better way to do it. Mm -hmm. Um that puts downward pressure on the, the products that are being manufactured and built below us because it's like in the auto industry. You know, advanced features start out in expensive vehicles, it's a great but they example. trickle down That's right. to starter vehicles. Yeah. It, you know, almost I can't think of a car manufactured today that doesn't have power windows and door locks. Yeah, and airbags and all these other safety right. features. That's right. And that started because only luxury cars had those at one time. That's right. But that downward pressure to provide all of America mm -hmm. the opportunity to own those features um, uh, was responded to by the industry. So I think if we just continue to, to, to put that pressure on and, and on ourselves to try to improve the way we do it and the products that we use on a regular basis, that, that will make the industry improve across the board. As you say, a rising tide. I totally agree. Here's two actual examples of that. Uh, we use a product called Aluma Flash from Polywall, which is a made in Texas product, uh, which is a, a, a peel and stick house wrap, aluminum facer, 
full coverage on the whole house, and it's a bomber product. I learned about it from Joe Pinelli's crew that was using it, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, and was intrigued by it, but it took me a little while to wrap my head around it. And meanwhile, we adopted it, several other builders adopted it. Nowadays, if you drive Austin job sites, all, all the builders that are building in the higher echelon price point, almost all of them use Illumiflash. Right. And it's really fun to see that, that even though we're competitors and we're competing against uh, you know, each other to win the customer's business, we're still using similar methods and, and really top of the line methods. Here's another great example. Uh, I got a builder friend in Missouri, Alex Symbol. Uh, Alex and his family actually are Russian immigrants. Uh, and Alex uh, is a big fan of the Huber Zip system. Feels like it gives a better waterproofing, but also a big uh, advantage in air tightness. He's got a competitor that he competes with in this neighborhood where he builds. He, he builds in just two or three neighborhoods who's been using a commercially available house wrap that flaps in the wind. <laughs> and uh, recently that competitor came to him and said, hey, your jobs always look so good. Uh, and I feel like I'm losing business to you because your houses feel like they're uh, in better shape when people drive by them. And so this competitor started using Huber Zip system and upgraded the performance of their house, not because clients were demanding it, because they weren't, but because his competitor was using it and he felt a little ashamed that his houses didn't look as good and that as people drove by, his houses were a little uh, tattery compared to Alex's yeah. houses. And yeah. I thought that was such a great example of a rising tide floats all boats. And lastly, I would say, I think one of the things I love about the videos that we make and the podcast now that we're going on season two is that we do have a fair amount of video watchers that are people that want to build a house and are looking over the fence at what home builders are talking about so that when they go to build their house, either short-term or long-term, they know what to ask for and what to look for. And they won't put up with inferior products or processes. They want to build a really good house. And that's why they're listening to the podcast. That's why they're watching the videos. And then they're going to their builders and saying, here's the list of things that I want to do right in my house. I want to get a blower door. I want the score to be a two ACH 50 or less. Uh, I want to use these, these, and these products for insulation. I want this product and this process for air tightness. I want to use aero barrier, whatever the things are. And man, I love hearing those anecdotal stories that it's the consumer driving the builder to do, to do builder, to do better. And that's cool too, because then once that builder learns to do better and why to do better, then all of a sudden, like me, I got hooked on building science and realized, gosh, I can do better. And once I do better, I really can't go back to those old methods. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, 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 I mean, I, I, honestly, we we periodically get clients that ask us to build to a lower price point. Mm -hmm. And there's just no way to do that without cutting back on some of the things that we have come to realize are important and irreplaceable in the process. And so uh, quite often we quite often we lose those jobs to uh, builders that build to a lower price point that that really haven't caught up on some of that building technology. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's right. But I think every builder's got to figure out what their least cost best build is, right? And you and I have decided that as a company, there's a set of standards that we won't go below 
And when a client needs to cut a budget or, or frankly just says, gosh, this is just more than I wanted to spend, how do we cut this down? You and I have a bit of a canned answer that says something to the effect of, you know, we could probably make about a 10 to 15% difference on this budget by cutting your specs. Meaning instead of this, uh, you know, 15 or $20 square foot hardwoods, we get down to $12 square foot hardwoods. And instead of this allowance for tile, we go to a smaller allowance. Or instead of this countertop per square foot, we go to this. But we're not going to take, uh, you know, structural changes to the house or, or less good waterproofing or air sealing. Or we're not going to put a bottom-of-the-line mechanical system in just to make your budget because we know that's not the right thing for your house. And that's going to be a disadvantage to your house. And then you as a, as a future owner of this house are then going to be in a position where you have a less good system that's going to cause issues or maintenance or problems down the line. And then I'm going to be put in a compromised position, having built you that house and then having to come back and service that having these lesser systems and they didn't meet your expectations for whatever reason, whether that's maintenance, longevity, uh, efficiency, indoor air quality, whatever. So I'm not going to do that to myself by cutting out my legs underneath me and building you a less good house. I need to figure out what those minimums are. Yeah. Yeah. And there are a lot of aspects in our end of the industry. Um, and, and I really know how to, classify that other than to say that I think we build, you know, unique one of a kind homes, the architectural styles that are dictated to us often require high, uh, sophisticated building science because they don't have the innate architectural built in architectural protections mm -hmm. of things like large overhangs. That's right. For example. So we have no choice but to use products like Alumaflash to make sure that water that's invariably going to get behind the cladding is, in fact, going to stay out of the house. That's right. So um, it, it's complicated, and, and every builder has to decide for themselves what the value proposition is for them to build to based on the products that they're building. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Last thing I want to mention on this topic, uh, why do we build? I see you, Tim, and your generation of, of builders. You're, uh, I hope you don't mind me saying, you're in your 60s, so you're you know, 15 years older than I am. When I first moved here to Texas in 2005, I was in my early 30s, I guess, at the time. And in particular, uh, you and a guy named Ray Tonjes and a guy named Joel Katz, uh, I think of you three as kind of my older brothers, uh, <laughs> where when I joined the Home Builders Association in 05, here I was, this young punk who didn't know anything about running a business. I knew a little bit about construction, but I probably thought I knew more than I actually did. And you and Ray and Joel were incredibly available to me to take a phone call, to reply to an email, to, to uh, go to lunch. And I asked the three of you guys all kinds of questions from contracts to subcontractor selection to what do I do in this situation? You guys were so generous in your time to mentor this young kid who, who didn't know anything about Texas and certainly didn't know anything about hot, humid construction. And so I want to encourage those listening to this podcast, especially if you uh, have been in the industry 10 years or more, let's say, mentor, take under your wing that next generation of builder that's local to you. I'm not saying that uh, it's the right thing to do if this builder's four towns away or four states away, but I guarantee you there's probably a younger builder in your local area that could use some help 
reach out to them or if they reach out to you, be willing to um, give them some of your time. And trust me, you'll get paid back in spades. And so my payback uh, to you, Tim, is to say a huge thanks for your willingness to do that. I know there's many other builders over the years that you have done the same thing with, and you were the president of the Home Builders Association for a year or two. You've been involved with trade associations. You've been such a titan in our Austin industry. So many people look up to you. It's a, it's a privilege to build houses. With you, well, thank you for saying that, Matt, but I'll turn it around on you and say that in retrospect, I would encourage everyone in this industry to seek out relationships with not only mentors, let's say builders and contractors that are one generation older than them, mm -hmm. but to also seek out relationships with builders and contractors that are one generation younger than them. Yeah. Because well, the benefit that I've received from my relationship to you, the energy, the enthusiasm, mm -hmm. the, the more modern building science understanding uh, it has been invaluable to my later career. So I wouldn't have had that had I not had that relationship of generation down, yeah. as well as the, what I benefited from the guys that were a generation up from I, me. I appreciate that, So Tim. I, think, I think both. It's important to have both. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and uh, to flip the tables on that, you know, you owned your own company for, what, 30-some years, Tim Hill Builder, Inc., and the reason why Tim and I, if you've listened to the podcast, it's been a while since we've talked about this, but Tim and I got together in the recession because Tim just finished a $20 million estate, a giant house that was incredible. And then the recession hit and he didn't have anything in the pipeline because <laughs> during the recession, he was finishing this giant house. So we uh, had been friends for several years from the HBA and then later CBUSA, our purchasing group. And I ran into him at Lowe's when I was kind of ramping up my business and getting busier with remodels in the recession. And that's when I reached out to him and was like, hey, Tim, I, you know, I know you've been in business for 30 years. You're incredible. Is there any chance you'd consider switching gears and working with me? I think you probably would have uh, gone straight into retirement and been thoroughly happy with that decision. <laughs> Uh, and you'd be traveling in an RV park right now somewhere in uh, the Pacific Northwest. Or, or dead. Or No, man, hopefully not dead. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's a whole generation of folks that are, you know, maybe 10 years older than you that could be incredible to work with. And don't be afraid to reach out to them as well. And I found uh, in this business some of the best people I've ever worked with have either owned their own company or were the chief of a company prior they understand how hard it is to make payroll every month, to uh, go through all the trials and tribulations of owning a business. And so, you know, Tim's been an incredible partner in my business now for a dozen years or so. All right, Tim, we should probably wrap this up. I think we're going on uh, 35 minutes-ish. Sounds good. I always like to keep the podcast to a non-Joe Rogan length <laughs> so that people can listen to it on their way to a job site or dropping the kids off and not be two hours in. But I, I really appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for listening in to Tim and I talk about this. If you're not familiar, we actually videotape this as well. The video is played on buildshownetwork.com. And by the time you're listening to this, we have a brand new website. The buildshow.com is migrating from buildshownetwork.com. So we actually have, it's the same content on both. One will direct to the other. But I thought it was kind of cool that we could acquire thebuildshow.com, a little slightly shorter URL. And the refresh on the website is really cool because we've got, um, I think, a little better navigation. 
but we've also got our series up on there now. So for instance, brand new series with two of our contributors, Jake Bruton and Steve Basic, called The Build Show Build, where this is our very first time that we followed a house start to finish. This is a house in Missouri that Jake built and Steve designed. In 12 episodes, we're building the entire house, and we dropped all 12 episodes in one season as if this was Netflix <laughs> all in one time so you can binge watch it. I'm super proud of what the team has done with this. It's really high quality. The editing's great. The shooting's great. Jake and Steve are both very, very smart. And not only that, this house is built on an incredibly reasonable budget using very normal things. I mean, this is concrete and framing, uh, some Huber Zip system sheathing, a metal roof, and built in a super thoughtful way such that you've got way higher performance out of this house than standard construction, even though all the materials came from a local lumber yard in Missouri. There's nothing exotic about this house whatsoever. And frankly, it's built at a price point that's at least 50%, if not more lower than what I'm typically building uh, our houses at. So it's really an example of a super well-built house on a pretty darn reasonable budget. So go check that out. It's over on buildshownetwork.com. All right, guys, thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Build Show podcast. If you're not currently a subscriber, hit that subscribe button below. We've got new content coming out every single Friday here. And I want to do a I want to say a big thanks to Aquar for sponsoring today's episode. I gave them a plug at the beginning, but I meant what I said if you heard that. Bomber products, I use them on my own house. Very, very impressive, both from a technology and an engineering standpoint, but also from an aesthetic standpoint. You can learn more at aquawatersystems.com. We'll see you next time on the Build Show podcast.